Well, I want to welcome the audience back to Paranormal. And I say it that way because if you tracked through all of the preceding episodes, you know that we haven't done an episode for quite a while. Um, you know, COVID was part of that, but we're not going to use that really totally as an excuse. I mean, there were just lots of things that got in the way in all of our lives other than that. But we are back and recommitted to, you know, doing paranormal episodes and jumping into some of these topics. And today we're going to talk about intercessory prayer, which is going to strike a number of listeners as odd. Like, is prayer paranormal? Uh, well, you know, it, it, it's, it falls into the category because you have the notion of, you know, let's be honest, a mental process praying. You've got God who of course transcends the material world. And then does, does that, do do those two things have an effect on people materially in this case, helping them get better, you know, being healed, you know, that sort of thing. So this, this episode isn't really going to be, you know, focused on like, like the gift of healing or anything like that, but we're really going to focus on studies Again, this is what we do at Paranormal. We look for peer-reviewed research on a given topic. We're going to focus on studies as to whether intercessory prayer has had or might have any positive, I guess we could say any, you know, effect, but but mostly they're looking to see if it has a positive effect on seriously ill patients. So that's the topic for today. And before I, I list out the articles, we just want to have our, our panel say hi because you know, it has been a while. We might as well get reacquainted with the audience or have the audience get reacquainted with us. So let's just jump in and ask uh, Doug Van Dorn to start. Doug, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to. Um, well, I'm a pastor. been pastoring for 20 years out in Colorado at a Reformed Baptist church. And I uh, love it. And COVID's been good to us, I guess. It's a uh, it's hard to live through the last year, obviously, but, um, the church has been doing well and, and the people are doing good. And, uh, I've actually been teaching them through the unseen realm and I'm trying to work on a study guide for it. Mm-hmm. So at some point in time, I'll need to talk to you about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're definitely interested in that. That's that, that would be sweet. Doug, our second Doug, Doug Overmeyer. What's up with you? <laughs> uh, so I, um, have CRC.com. It's, it's a website with some articles that try to coach people who can see spiritual things, how to think about them in a, from a kingdom of God uh, framework. And I, I've just, I've counseled a lot of people over the last year. Um, but, um, my private, private, my real world, real world, are we supposed to separate our, our, uh, our <laughs> physical career with our spiritual walk? Probably not. <clears throat> anyway, I work in a marketing apartment for a, at a retailer and uh, been really uh, focused on that the last year. And uh, but I'm also working on it, trying to get a book done, uh, hopefully to be available um, for later this year. And it, it's, again, just sort of systematically helping people think through mm-hmm. this ability that some people have to, to see spiritual things. I, I don't, by the way, but I help people sort of think through it <laughs> from mm-hmm. the biblical framework. Mm-hmm. Brian, your turn. It- yeah, Brian Gadawa. Um, <clears throat> I'm a novelist and a, a screenwriter, and um, I think I have the uh, one of the honors of being one of the first uh, novelists to apply the unseen realm theology to a series of fictional novels called Chronicles of the Nephilim and now Chronicles of the Watchers. And um, I just recently moved 
I escaped LA with my wife and we moved <laughs> to Texas and my pronouns are now Tex and y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and all plural, by the way, yes. y'all yeah. singular. I know. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I already got that down. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, Trey, you want to get people acquainted with you? Well, I, I think everybody knows me with the Naked Bible and whatnot. Yeah, I know. You're glad. always in the shadows. I'm, I'm just glad uh, Brian's you know, uh, in Texas, so that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some people are just so easy to please, you know. That's good. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and listeners, you know, over the, the course of you know, us doing this podcast will note that Natalie is missing. She didn't feel well today. So when we come back with another topic, I'm sure that she will be uh, along with us as usual. Uh, I, I'm, I'm Mike Heiser, host of the Naked Bible podcast, uh, wrote Unseen Realm. And again, for anything else that you might need to put you to sleep at night, my bio is at drmsh.com and you can read through that and, you know, hopefully, hopefully still want to listen to us. But well, we're going to get to uh, intercessory prayer here. So the studies that you know I, I sent to everybody that, again, this is our method. I will you know pluck out off the journal databases a series of peer-reviewed articles about a given topic, and send them to everybody, and we, we read through them, and then we discuss them. So for this topic, inter- intercessory prayer, and these are chronological, and we're going to go through these chronologically. There's an article by Randolph Bird. It's B-Y-R-D. And you can get all these articles, I think all except for one, uh, on the, the episode website. They're all uh, available on the Internet. But his article is entitled Positive Therapeutic Effects of Intercessory Prayer in a Coronary Care Unit Population. So, again, dealing with heart patients. Uh, William S. Harris and a bunch of other co-authors is the second article. Birds was 1988. This one's 1999. This article is a randomized controlled trial of the effects of remote intercessory prayer on outcomes in patients admitted to the coronary care unit. So again, focused on coronary care. 2001, we have Jennifer Avilas, I believe is how you would say her last name, and again, a host of co-authors. Intercessory Prayer and Cardiovascular Disease Progression in a Coronary Care Unit Population, a Randomized Controlled Trial. That's the Mayo Clinic Proceedings. And then Herbert Benson with co-authors, his article, their article is entitled Study of the Therapeutic Effects of Intercessory Prayer, which they abbreviate STEP, in Cardiac Bypass Patients, a Multicentered Randomized Trial of Uncertainty and Certainty of receiving intercessory prayer. That's 2006, the American Heart Journal. And we have two other articles that aren't studies that more or less just comment on kind of the enterprise of, is is prayer something you can really like submit to scientific research? And the first one of those is Kevin Masters. His article is Research on the Healing Power of Distant Intercessory Prayer, subtitle, Disconnect Between Science and Faith. That's the Journal of Psychology and Theology, and that was 2005. And then Wendy Cadge, her article is Saying Your Prayers, Constructing Your Religions, Medical Studies of Intercessory Prayer from the Journal of Religion, and that's a 2009 article. So those are our, you know, the, the fodder from which this episode will come. Let's just start with Bird, Positive Therapeutic Effects of Intercessory Prayer, again, coronary patients. And I'm just going to describe each of these, you know, we'll go one by one and, and, you know, we'll do them each individually just to see what you guys thought of the article. 
But uh, general notes, Bird's study was involved 393 patients admitted to the coronary care unit. They were randomized. They signed informed consent to an intercessory prayer group of 192 patients, or the control group was 201, so pretty evenly divided. While hospitalized, the first group received intercessory prayer by participating Christians praying outside the hospital. The control group did not. After entry, all patients had follow-up for the remainder of the admission, the time they were in the hospital. The intercessory prayer group subsequently had a significantly lower severity score based on the hospital course after entry. Now, we should talk about severity score in layman's terms, and I'm a layman. It's you know, sort of as you go through the, the, the care procedure, basically what happens to you while you're hospitalized for you know, some coronary condition. Um, do good things happen to you? Do you get better? Do bad things happen to you? Again, are there complications? You know, you know, and this includes patient death and things like that. So, you know, physicians rank these things or, or at least the study ranked these things um, and come out with a severity score. So the in this study... The people who got prayed for had either more good things happen to them or less bad things <laughs> happen to them. So what what did you guys think of uh, Bird's study? I mean, there, it's 1988, so it's old. And one of the studies subsequent to this commented that since 1965, there have been roughly, I don't know what, what her count was, I think 20 or so studies on intercessory prayer. So this is one of the earlier ones. What did you, what did you, you all think of this? Oh, uh, well, this is, this is DVD. My, uh, I guess my first thought was that, uh, this guy seemed like he would, he'd be pretty much in the camp of the guys that do paranormal. So pretty evangelical guy. And, and, uh, but then I thought, and you set up this, you set up these uh, trials to, to have some people being prayed for and others not. Like it's kind of tough to not have people praying for you, and that's <laughs> that's what you're doing for a for a study. But then, yeah, because uh, they had, they were informed, they had informed consent, like they they knew they were either going to be prayed for or not, you know. Right. But then he said that they, you know, they did account for things like um, he said these are not pure groups, so. Um, you know, somebody else wanted to pray for them. That was fine. If they wanted to pray for themselves, that was fine. But then immediately I started thinking, all right, so how can you, how can you like actually control um, your testing if, if those kinds of things are not being accounted for? So, you know, that kind of gets into some of the things that I think we'll talk about with, with masters and, and maybe mm-hmm. CAJ. But um, I saw that, that, that was interesting. And then also just the fact that, um, uh, very self-consciously, it's only uh, Christians, you know, and fairly broad, you know, Catholics mm-hmm. are involved and stuff, but only Christians and only praying to our God. So, like, no other deities allowed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anybody else thoughts on this one? I, I kind of struggled with the ethics of the study. Baird's presumption is he's a Christian, so he's pre- presuming that He's trying to prove that prayer is helpful. Mm-hmm. And and then so then you pick a bunch of people who you're specifically not going to try to help. I, you know, and I know it's a scientific study <laughs> and that's just part of it. But right. she was what if they really need prayer? You know, and I, I, I did struggle with one trying. I mean, what he chose as measurements seemed a little bit arbitrary to me, but it's it just I struggled with the ethics of it. Mm hmm. 
Well, I hear where you're coming from. This is Brian. Brian works in Hollywood. He doesn't struggle with ethics at all. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> well, actually, that's why I left. Right. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, I, I, I'm not sure, though, I, I have the same view in the sense that he did mention that there was no attempt to limit prayer among the controls, meaning hey. if people were, they didn't tell people not to pray for them. So like, there, in fact, this is one, one of the reasons why I think that it's not very, not very scientific, because if people were going to pray for them anyway, that, that, you know, they, they even assumed that there might be some of that going on. So it's, they didn't tell people not to pray for them. So they could have had family members and usually obviously family members do. Right. So that's one of the elements that I thought, well, you know, you know, right, ethically it data. would be wrong to say, don't pray so that we have people who aren't being prayed for. <laughs> However, it also spoils the analysis if there are other people praying for the people who aren't being prayed for in the test, right? So it just, it, it, it's not very scientific in that sense, you know? Um, yeah, there were 57, I, 57 patients refused prayer for yeah. personal reasons and religious convictions. And so, again, part of me is like, well, people should be praying for those 57 people, maybe not for their physical health, but for their spiritual health, you know? Sure. But obviously they opted, they opted out and that was respected by the researchers. So, I mean, you guys have already pointed out that, that the people praying, I mean, this is right from the study as far as their method, um, intercessors were chosen on the following basis. They were born again Christians, according to the gospel of John three, three with an active Christian life as manifested by daily devotional prayer and active Christian fellowship with a local church. But as Doug pointed out, DVD, that there you had Protestants and Catholics represented. And, and then he adds that the patients and intercessors were not matched by religion or denomination. So they tried to they tried to randomize it within that pretty targeted group, you know, of intercessors. And then the conclusion was this is a sentence from the, the article. These data suggest that intercessory prayer to the Judeo-Christian God has a beneficial therapeutic effect in patients admitted to a coronary care unit. Now, that that's the line that, that you know, major media, newspapers, you know, so on and so forth did and would pick up. But what do you, do you guys, do you guys think the conclusion is consistent with the data or do you think something else? Well, there was, there was no difference in how long people stayed in the hospital. And so you, you had some measurements of who would be better, who, who had a better, who had a better experience in the hospital versus those who didn't. And that's, that's what they measured. I, I just find, I found the data points, not begging the question, but I, I just wonder if there's some confirmation bias going on. For me, um, I'll, I have to admit, coming, coming into this whole discussion, I have conflicted thoughts and such, because there's a side of me when I'm reading this that it just is very offensive, actually, um, to think, you know, this sort of, a, oh, an unspoken sort of uh, maybe implicit bias of the thought that science can somehow quantify God and quantify his effects. And, you know, while I'm certain Christians aren't going to say that, say that, that's exactly what they're doing. The act of what they're doing sort of feels like that to me. It sort of it gives me this sense of, you know, oh, we're not, you know, 
we're either trying to prove God or trying to, or someone might be trying to disprove God. But in both cases, they're thinking science is the element that's going to do that. And, and of course, you know, and there's all these other theological elements of, you know, uh, well, the, the most important, actually the most important variable is God's will, you know, and that's the only, that's the ultimate determiner of everything. And that's the one thing they can't bring into the discussion, of course. But the other side of me, I also admit, it's like, well, but hey, I'm a post-enlightened, you know, person in a modern world. We're all affected by science. And, and think about it. Every time that we, every time that we even say, you know, oh yeah, hey, hey, you know, look at so-and-so. They prayed for them and they got healed. That's a form of, you know, trying to show empirical evidence that God's, you know, doing his work in the world. So that's somewhat scientific, right? So it's not entirely wrong, um, necessarily, right? And now there's, or let's put it this way, I'm open. I'm at least open to seeing what they're doing. But I do have that sort of, eh, you know, this just, this doesn't seem, it seems reductionistic in a way that, that, you know, that, that I don't like. But having said that, um, you know, if you're going to do this sort of, I, I, I respect the fact that this is new territory and they're trying to make their way and, you know, but if you're going to go about it scientifically, then you've got to do things that I don't think were done that make, to, in my mind, uh, you know, it's just very lacking. And the, one of the biggest things for, for this one, actually, it ends up being the case for all of them is they never do a control group of two random groups where they do, where they don't do anything. They just find out if we pick two random groups and we keep track of all the details of what happens just normally without doing anything, then what's the deviation between those two groups? And, and if you get a amount of deviation between groups that you're doing nothing, then the deviation between the groups in this particular study where he says they're slightly more positive, well, that might be within the normal parameters of vari variation anyway. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but you don't have that reference point. So, you know, I, I just sort of felt like it, it doesn't prove anything to me. You know, it's, it's still you lacking. Know, along with something you just said, I, you know, I, I wonder too, what if they had done a, a study where they say, hey, we're going to, we're going to, I mean, and this obviously would be unethical in terms of what patients are being told. But if they said, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to do this study on intercessory prayer and we're, we're going to divide you know, people randomly between two groups, you know, those who get prayed for and those who don't. But then when the two groups are formed, they don't pray for, and nobody gets prayed for. Yeah. It would, it would be interesting. Like if you had a certain, again, what, what they're shooting for is this something that is, is more than just a random statistical difference. Okay. Between the two groups. What if you had a, a more than random statistical difference in one of those groups? Yeah. When nobody got prayed for, because that that that's going to cater to the to the old mind over matter, because the people who think they're getting prayed for, or 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 at least hope they're getting, they're, they're, there's a mental process going on in their head yeah. that that you know might contribute to their healing. I mean, it, you you could you could see where again the mind mind over matter idea and those that are really you know really seriously promote it, um, you know would. <laughs> Is that a win for them? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, like, what does that prove? Anything? It, it would certainly you. It would certainly be used to you know argue a certain point. But I, I you know, I wonder things like that. That would would the outcome be significantly different? Um, you know, for all the reasons you just you you know you just mentioned. 
let's go to the next one here. We, we can always go back to Bird if you guys want to, but um, Harris's article, 11 years later, does reference Bird's study. So you know, the authors are aware of, of, of Bird's you know, initial study. This is the randomized controlled trial of effects of remote intercessory prayer. Uh, they had a little over a thousand patients. There were 484 in the prayer group, and uh, they, they describe the method this way: At the time of admission, patients were randomized to receive remote intercessory prayer, a, a prayer group, or not. That would be the usual care group. The first names of patients in the prayer group were given to a team of outside intercessors who prayed for them daily for four weeks. Patients were unaware that they were being prayed for. Okay, so there's a, a significant element, maybe. And the intercessors did not know and never met the patients. The intercessors represented a variety of Christian traditions, 35% listing their affiliation as non-denominational, 27% Episcopalian, and the remainder as other Protestant groups or Roman Catholic. The intercessors were predominantly women, which I thought was interesting, 87%. And their mean age was 56. All reported at least weekly church attendance and daily prayer habits. So their conclusion as well was that, quote, remote intercessory prayer was associated with lower coronary care unit course scores. Again, this, this, this outcome score, positive or negative. This result suggests that prayer may be an effective adjunct to standard medical care. So what did we think of this one? Anything stand out in this article? Well, Masters, uh, in his kind of overview of all these, mm -hmm. this he thought this was the best of the studies. And I think it's probably for the reason that the people didn't know they were being prayed for. So, I mean, we just brought up with Bird that they did. And so, like, there's the, all these psychological factors that they're not accounting for. And this one seemed to be at least a little better in terms of, of uh, you know, not, not letting that creep in. Yeah. Did, did you find this one per persuasive at all? More persuasive than the other? I mean, if, because you're right, you know, Masters gives us a little, not, I don't know if he, he wouldn't give it a thumbs up, but maybe, you know, horizontal. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, on a superficial level, I, of course, I have confirmation bias and I'm like, when I take this to my wife, check this out, prayer, you know, look, they've documented it. But then when you go deeper, it, it's like, wait, I, I kind of like what Brian said, like it's it sort of, there's a reductionist mentality. I mean, is, is there, a, is, is God a formula that you can, if you do certain things that he does certain things or. I, know, I like, but, I like the vending machine metaphor a little better, but. <laughs> yeah. 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 You do certain things. Well, a little bit later they get into doses of prayer. We, we need to increase the dosage. Of, <laughs> right. Of increase yeah. the dosage. <laughs> but when they, when they used beards, uh, measurements, uh -huh. there was no difference no measurable difference between the two control groups. So they had to use a different set of criteria to produce the results they received, which to me just, again, that feels, that feels fudgy. Yeah. It, it just, right. Yeah. I, I also think that, you know, as we, as these, as we see each of these, as time goes on, right. And, and they're trying to, to, you know, do new studies and such. You sort of see a reflection of the the evolution of the of the social views as well of religion, right? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. this one's more ecumenical, so to speak, right? Uh, and 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 as further and as we go down the road, more of them they become more, you know, 
interreligional type of thing. And I think that that's also, well, again, I have a theological problem with that, right? And which you could say, well, I, you know, well, that's theological. But the point is, is, is this is the problem with reductionism. It, it, it assumes so many things when you're talking, you don't realize it. So for instance, the very notion that uh, the, this, this requirement is that they agree to the following statement. I believe in God. I believe he's a personal and concerned with the individualized, yada, yada. And, and that's great. But the problem is, is that from a biblical standpoint, those of us who, who, who are of the evangelical faith, whatever, go ahead and categorize us. But the truth is, is our claim is precisely that, that um, belief in God isn't, isn't enough. And you don't necessarily have a relationship with God uh, unless it's with Jesus Christ. And so as they're departing from this sort of, oh, exclusivistic Christian thing, let's be a little bit more ecumenical. Well, but the problem is, is they're also assuming something, which is all religions are the same. So, so we should have a smattering of all of them, or, you know, let's have a little bit of all just in case. And that's precisely what makes it uh, fallacious from, um, from, um, not even just a theological, I'm, I'm saying just from a logical perspective, because if God is personal and he does only have relationship with certain kinds of people, then those are the people that would make the difference in prayer, not those who aren't. And uh, that's, of course, a debatable issue. But what I'm saying is, uh, you know, to assume that no view of God matters is itself, you know, a, a prejudice that's going to that's going to spoil the results, in my opinion, you know. So that's I have a problem with that as it becomes more more open in that sense, and that's our that's oh and the other thing is is you know this thing about oh they they don't know anything about the patients at most they get a first name and I I don't remember is this the one that gives a, an initial of the last name or yeah I'm I'm not sure I'd have to look it up basically there's a, a real restricted knowledge here, and the point is is this is another element of I don't know whatever whatever belief you come from it seems to me. Even even if I wasn't a Christian, I would say, well, look, if the whole if your view of God is he's just this impersonal force, then yeah, you think you can reduce him to these scientific formulas. Mm-hmm. But if if you know the, if there's really a God and he's a personal being, then personal relationship is precisely part of the part of the issue of what is going on in a prayer. So if you divorce the personal nature mm-hmm. of that and just oh here's a name and a, and a thing and you don't know anything about him, you don't you know the and and pray to whatever God as you see him, then you've completely eliminated the very uh, essence of what at least we would argue the Bible is saying, which is, you know, that personal connection to God and, and you're trying to take it out. And that's, again, that's the reductionism that I would complain about. Anyone else have any feelings about uh, that study? I mean, just to pick up on the point Brian made about the mm-hmm. kind of moving to more ecumenical thinking and and then even there are, there were studies that were like completely from Buddhists that we didn't read but were mentioned mm-hmm. in Kaj study and I had this I mean this is a dark thought <laughs> and it's totally unethical but I had this thought of like what if you did a study of um you know like black witches cursing people in a hospital or something <laughs> right. like that. yeah you know like would it do anything right. and you know, I started thinking about uh, just the way that uh, supernatural prayers to demons and thinking of them as healers. I mean, Rephaim, the word means the healers. And, and uh, you know, just I think I think what Brian's bringing up is a really, really important point. I have the same exact thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I, I would argue that this isn't 
that's my bias, but I would argue, even objectively speaking, you, you would have to acknowledge that if truth, if there is truth, an objective reality of a God, then then you can't just lump everything into 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 the same basket. In fact, what I would do is, well, let's have a group of Buddhists pray in one experiment. Let's have a group of Pentecostal women. Let's have a group of Catholics, because that would be the more scientific approach anyway. If if there is a difference between faiths, which we do not know from the scientific perspective, so we cannot assume that, oh, they're all just saying the same thing, or they're all just different versions of the same thing, you know? Right, right. As as though that could be scientifically measured, yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, theological claims and whatnot. Well, okay, let's ask this question then. You you brought up the relational aspect. So does that mean that we shouldn't pray for people we don't know? I mean, how, how would you, Brian, how would you respond well, to that I, in light okay, of your I would, concerns? Sure. I would argue that's a continuum. And I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's not an easily delineate, delineated thing, but I can jump to the extreme to, to, to make my point, which is I do think the more diluted you pray, the less sincere it is. And, and it's almost insulting to God. Like, you know, I pray for world peace. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I just pray that you'd heal all the people in the hospital, Lord. Like, well, you know, that's not, that's not really a, a a true compassion, you know? Um, now at what point though, you know, I'm praying for my wife that she gets healed in the hospital. Okay. That's legit. But then at one point, I don't know at what point does it become, okay, now you're just sort of generalizing your laziness. Investment meter. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't know where that is, but I, but I do believe that it's relevant. I just don't know at what point that, that becomes, yeah, I, I would I would take a a more charitable view of that, but while like at the same time while acknowledging your concerns, because let's just take the one another commands. Okay, one of those is you know pray for one another. Well, are we really going to assume that when Paul says that in a, in a letter to a church that everybody knows everybody else? Well, maybe if it was ten people, okay, you know, but you know what if it's three hundred, you know, and half of them you know, our slaves and you know, they show up once in a while, you know, yeah. you know, it, how do you, I, I don't think we should wipe that off the table, but I, I think your, your key thought really maybe is, is, you know, is investment. You know, how do you, yeah. I hate to use the, this phrase, but how do you move the needle there? You know, it, it that, that, that seems to be a legit issue, at least in, in my head, but go ahead. I think a lot of the, the value of prayer is for the person doing the praying. Yeah, I would agree. You're learning oh, the, all sorts of things that you're learning about submitting to God and submitting to God's willing, learning to care for other people, and and so it's there's a lot more going on than the person. You know, you pray for someone's someone's health, and and God's sovereignty is going to do what He's going to do. And there's other there's other things involved, but it's it's certainly working something in the person who's praying. So like, like all these, these, these older women who were in the study, you know, primarily older women who are in the study group or in the prayer group, you know, I had a picture in my head of old, of people at our church who are in a prayer group, you know, and they, they're just, that's, that's their service and prayer. I don't know if their prayers are effective on other people, but I know they're affecting them <laughs> because they're just wonderful people. So I, I think there's just more, what these studies are trying to measure certain things. Well, what about things that you can't measure? You know, benefits of are, prayer that you can't measure. Are, are I mean, you suggesting, how, Doug, that that prayer might have something to do with personal discipleship and maybe even thinking <laughs> theological thoughts? That, yeah, that yeah, help bring that. your mind into conformity <laughs> with. 
Well, I think yeah. that, that that addresses uh, the issue that we've kind of touched on already, which is, uh, yeah, yeah, there is that element of it. Of course, we know that it's multi multi uh, layered, uh, you know, aspects to prayer, but it's relevant in the sense of of um, the. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> I'll have to get back to it when, when I f- figure out what I was trying to say. Sorry. <laughs> well, it, yeah, if it comes back to you, let us know. D- Doug, Van Dorn, DVD, do you have anything to add? I got stuff to add on some of the other ones. So I all, right, all right, we'll, we'll keep going. So, um, by the way, for Avilas, the, the outcome conclusion was, as delivered in this study, intercessory prayer had no significant effect on medical outcomes after hospitalization in a coronary care unit. So there... One of the angles with that study before we leave it was, um, well, in Bert, she writes, or or they write, in Bird's study, intercessory prayer treatment was administered only during hospitalization. In the study by Harris, it was extended to 28 days from randomization. However, in an attempt to minimize the effect of intercessory prayer external to the study, our 26-week period of prayer treatment began at hospital discharge, okay, which was an altogether different take. And, and so their, their conclusion, again, that there was no, you know, no significant statistical you know, difference between the control group. But, but none of that changes you know, what, what you guys have been talking about and the issues that, that are raised. So let's move to the, the fourth one, the fourth study. Wait. I remember sure. what I wanted to say. Go ahead. <laughs> playing off of what, good timing. <laughs> playing off of what Doug had said was this idea of, you know, how much it changes us and such. Um, and, and this is another element of certainly can't people see that when you're, re- you're taking something like prayer and you're reducing it to a tool to accomplish what you want and rejecting all the other elements and aspects of it, there's a reductionism going down there. Again, whether you believe it or not, you can certainly acknowledge that. Is that even a, is that even an appropriate way to, to, to deal with this is this reductionism of using it to, as the tool to accomplish what you want, because then you're in the category in the Bible that's been condemned. You know, you, you don't pray to God to just, just for your selfishness. And, you know, that those kinds of things actually are, are, are relevant in terms of their effects. And the Bible on the one hand says, you know, God's sovereign will, but on the other hand, there's also the element of a prayer of a righteous man avails much. So all those personal elements actually affect the effectiveness of prayer as well. And it's not just this, okay, here's a tool, let's use the tool to achieve what we want and see if it works. That itself is sort of a, uh, uh, a sort of a, well, yeah, a reduction of of prayer in a way that kills it, you know, so... Yeah, when they were talking, maybe it's this, it's this fourth study, but talking about the, the doses of prayer, like like it's a medicine that you prescribe, like, well, this person needs 10 doses of prayer. I kept thinking of David uh, taking the census, you know, like, <laughs> like I, I don't know why I made, my mind went there exactly, but it's like, like don't. Well, yeah, count. you're trying to quantify something, yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting, that, that impulse, I guess, but. Yeah, well, I'd like to um, say well, the fourth one quick. is. Well, hold on, Mike. I'd like to say sure, about ahead. the Harris one. I thought it was interesting that they were the trial was designed to explore not the mechanism but the phenomenon itself. So you know we were talking about 
the the prayer and the sincerity of the heart, if that would work and the mechanism, whatever, rather than the, the result, the outcome. So whether if somebody's sincere or if you've got 10 people praying for you or two people praying for you, it's not necessarily the mechanism, but it's the outcome, which is what mm-hmm. I thought he was trying to, what they were trying to do in that second study, um, which is mm-hmm. what I thought was the proper approach. You know, let's not worry about how many prayers you need, like Doug was saying and whatnot, but, uh, What's the what's the result outcome? Because because it is supernatural in nature, and I, and I think if we try to pinpoint, okay, if you do four blessings on Tuesday and two on right. Wednesday, then you get this outcome. Rather than just, do you have a positive effect at the end of the road? Yeah, it it does turn it into a tool, or a, you know, you flip the switch on, or oh, maybe I didn't plug it in. You know, <laughs> just it has that mechanical feel to it. You know, otherwise. Um, the, the fourth study was 2006. Uh, this is Benson and a group of co-authors. So this was a little larger, um, a eight, eight, little over 1,800 randomized patients. Uh, they, they write, uh, patients at six U.S. hospitals were randomly assigned to one of three groups. 604 received intercessory prayer after being informed that they may or may not receive prayer. 597 did not receive intercessory prayer also after being informed that they may or may not receive prayer. And 601 received intercessory prayer after being informed they would receive prayer. Intercessory prayer was provided for 14 days starting the night before, and then there's an abbreviation here, which uh, I think it's cardiac or arrest or something. But again, whatever their medical condition was, it started the night before. Uh, the primary outcome was presence uh, was the presence of any complication within 30 days. Okay, so secondary outcomes were any major event and mortality. So again, th- th- it's a little bit different, but still, you know, kind of the same. They again, they they started the prayer 14 days starting the night before each patient scheduled, you know, bypass. That was the abbreviation, and then the same daily prayer updated list was faxed to each of three intercessory prayer groups every weekday throughout the study. The intercessors agreed to add the phrase to their prayers. So now now we're like scripting the prayers. Quote, for a successful surgery with a quick, healthy recovery and no complications, unquote, to their usual prayers. And then there's, there's a breakdown. There were two Catholic groups, one Protestant group. So the result here was was actually kind of startling. Do you any, any of you remember what what the outcome for this one was? The, the hint is it was unlike the others. <laughs> yeah, he said uh, that um, patients who were certain that intercessors would pray for them had a higher rate of complications. Yeah, it was actually the reverse. <laughs> I thought Please stop really praying. <laughs> when you move from the timeframes of 88 to 2006, and we've already brought up the fact that there's, there seems to be like a, not it, the culture is being displayed in the articles kind of where it's more mm-hmm. Christian to more ecumenical. And this was, I thought the most ecumenical of all. And uh, because like, it's like, it was still cr- only Christians that were praying for him, but I think this is the one that was because they really couldn't find enough of other people to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, right? Yeah, they like, actually like that said shows that. you right there the kind of commitment that the, that those people had. But so and then this might I, I, this might be something to argue about. I don't know because it's kind of going against what Brian was saying that I actually agreed with. But I noticed like as you move through the years, you move from uh, 
well, boy, we had a definitely a positive effect of prayer. And then and then it was, yeah, totally we had an effect, a positive effect. And then it was like, well, there wasn't really any difference. And then you get to the last one, and it's like, oh, it was even worse than that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, is there, a, is there a corresponding relationship between moving, moving away from, you know, any kind of a Christian worldview to that kind of an outcome? I, I mean, I have no idea how you'd test it, but I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it was surprising, you know, the the outcome. Now, you know, the, the other thing you could throw in, okay, this is bypass surgery. And the other ones, you know, it they weren't that quite specific. You know, they were as far as what is, you know, cardiac coronary care unit. Well, what like do we need a pacemaker or yeah. surgery, you know, it it lacked the precision of this one. So who you know, who knows? But I mean, again, if if this is you know, if, if God is the vending machine or the light switch, you know, and, 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 you know, we're, we're, we're adding as many doses of prayer. Now we're scripting really specific yeah. prayers. So we don't forget, you know, the right words to say, then you would, you would think you'd get the positive outcome, but you didn't. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't mean to change the subject, but it struck me too, that this was the most clear that, uh, most clear unscientific approach in, in that it said almost all subjects, all of them in all the groups believed that friends, relatives, and or members of their religious institutions would be praying for them. Right. Anyway. And so, well, then there is no scientific variable. I mean, mm-hmm. like there's, you know, so, so how can this even, how can these measurements matter if, if they can't control the one most important element, in my opinion, mm-hmm. scientifically speaking, of course. Any other thoughts, you know, cause I, I, you're probably all waiting like I am to get into the master's <laughs> article, <laughs> which I, you know, we, we might as well just jump in. We, I mean, Doug uh, sure. DVD brought it up a little bit earlier, but you know, if, if we had only read these four, let's just try to divorce, you know, masters out of our thinking and then Cadge's article, which was even broader, but this is just me talking. Now. If, if I had read only these four, I would just think, why was this, I mean, I kind of know the answer, but, but, but why was this these kind of studies, this whole subject, why was this made such a big deal of in popular media? You know, it's at certain points that I remember, you know, not growing up, but as an adult, you know, like how did, why was this such big news? Because it's at best, it's so inconclusive and, and they're, they're actually really some, some methodological flaws in what they're doing. And of course the answer is because that, that makes a great headline or, or, you know, people want to, you know, you've used the word reductionist a lot, but, but this, this whole thing that, ah, we've scientifically proved God does something like he was awake, you know, during the study or something, (laughs) you know, that, that there's this impulse, you know, in, in people to, to want that to be the case. And they don't often really think through the implications like the master's article forces you to do. Um, so that that was just my general impression. If I if I only had these four articles, I I would feel very dissatisfied. You yeah, know, about I think this. Well, they're they're divisive because that's why I think that's why the media grabbed onto it because they're gonna they're gonna tick a lot of people off and they're gonna make a lot of people a lot of people happy and then people are gonna start arguing. <laughs> arguing about it and, mm-hmm. and that's what the media likes i think they, they like to create division and, and and raise the temperature um it gets clicks and yeah. so i i mean even as we were reading them 
reading the articles, we all have sort of feel like we're, we're all bringing our own theological thinking about the topic to it. And it's hard to, to divorce what we think about prayer and, and God's sovereignty and from, from what we're reading. And like, you can, that's why they're trying to reduce it to the like lowest common denominator here. Here's a script, read this script. We're not gonna tell you anything else about these people, how they're doing, what, you know, take all your, basically all your care out of, take all your emotion out of it and just sort of read the script and we'll see if we have a, a result. And uh, like, is, is that even what prayer is? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of what prayer is supposed to be. Yeah. All right. Master's article was, and unfortunately this is the one that, that is not publicly available, although maybe somebody could find it at Acad academia.edu. I did not check there. I was just using the broader internet. But the the title is Research on the Healing Power of Distant Intercessory Prayer, subtitled Disconnect Between Science and Faith. This is from the Journal of Psychology and Theology, uh, volume 33 in 2005. Now, he's he's not a medical professional. So Masters was, uh, I looked his, his biography up a little bit too. He's recently passed away, but he was a professor of psychology and he he describes himself. I mean, he he lays his cards on the table, you know, real directly. He says, uh, you know, I'm an evangelical Christian and a social scientist, specifically a clinical health psychologist. He says, a priori, I believe that scientific investigation of faith-based practices is nearly always appropriate, illuminating, and relevant. But then, nevertheless, he's very critical. Uh, of these studies. He says, the central premise of this article is that earlier studies lack any theological or rational theoretical foundation and consequently produce non-interpretable findings. It is further argued that the experimental methods of science are based on important assumptions that render them ill-equipped to study divine intervention. As a result, intercessory prayer studies are seen as a distraction from more appropriate work that should be done in the areas of religion and health. So we could we could jump in almost at any point because he this article is really loaded with you know if if you're a fan of of the intercessory prayer like study thing, there's a lot in this article that would trouble you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the theological questions. That that he's very direct at. So if we want to jump in any of those, you know, feel free. He had a so he had a list of five questions I think that were you know, heading titles, mm-hmm. and some of them were just good questions like, what does it mean when you say you have significant results? Like if you have an eight percent difference between the two groups, is that really meaningful? And they they just say it's meaningful, but they don't really explain why. But the question that hit me the most was he said, what if some some people that were prayed for show improvement, but other people that were prayed for don't. So like, how do you analyze that? So should you just kind of average it out and say that, well, prayer is 10% more effective. So God is like 10% better than without God, you know, like, mm-hmm. is that how it works? Or and then you have to bring in all the theology questions, which is what he's doing. Yeah. Brian's done a good job of that with us already, you know, that how do you quantify if God decides that he's not going to answer you know, the prayer for healing for one person, but he does for another. Does it mean mm-hmm. it didn't work? You know, those those are really important questions that he rightly said. They just can't be proven in these studies. And I, I, his, I mean, his conclusion is basically everybody should keep praying, but uh, stop spending all this money on these 
stupid studies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I, that was great. I, yeah, I mean, he's he's really blunt sometimes. He goes, I invite the reader to develop a theory to explain why God would respond more favorably to the prayers made on behalf of a group of people who were chosen at random. Okay. Yeah. Like, like this, of course, you know, would mean that God didn't respond as favorably to those randomly placed in the control group. What kind of God would this be? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's a good question. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's exactly. a really good question. And, and this isn't, and, and this guy isn't the sort of, you know, religious guy who rejects science, right? You know, that's going to be right. the typical um, stereotype that everyone assumes. It's like, no, no, he actually supports it. And and uh, his arguments are legitimate uh, arguments. They're not, oh, science can't disprove God anyway, so stop trying. You know, it's, it's no, he has these legitimate arguments, you know. What, another one that I liked was he said, um, one could argue, as was suspected in the therapy outcome studies, that the failure to find strong effects for IP could be due to the inadequacy of the intercessors. And that's true, too. In the, in the Bible, we see examples of that where, you know, even though God's will is supreme and he actually does say, my personal belief is it will not be possible to articulate and measure the necessary and sufficient characteristics of intercessors that are predictive of their effectiveness, because in the end, it's God's purposes that determine outcomes. So these are the mysterious things that precisely make sense and 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 why he's arguing you know the difficulty of of you know applying the scientific approach to them yeah i mean another way of looking at at the four studies is you know what i i want i want beard's uh, intercessors praying for me <laughs> <laughs> i agree no that, i mean exactly <laughs> exactly your point brian that uh it matters the kind of person praying like think of proverbs or james where god hears the prayers of the righteous yeah but the Lord is far from the wicked. So you just get a bunch of people, they all say they're Christians and they start praying. Well, that's not taken into account. How, and how, really, how could you? Yeah. And and and, and lastly, like, even from a, what, what if God does want some of these people to be able, what if he wants them, you know, to, to stay sick because he has a greater purpose that he's going to accomplish later anyway. And that's just one teeny tiny example of the fact that there could be a thousand million reasons why uh, God is choosing not to heal someone at that moment, and that it has nothing to do with, you know, even the person praying <laughs> at times, yeah. or or the or the ill person's worth. It has nothing to do yeah. with that. Yeah, exactly. You know, when when I read Matt this article, uh, it's going to sound like like a weird connection here, but the first thing I thought of was the 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 God detection helmet studies. <laughs> you know, like like people who wear it, you know the. This guy makes this helmet, you know, to, to measure brain waves or, so, or, you know, sensory deprivation or sensory stimulus to, to induce a, a whatever, a God experience, whatever that is, you know, like it, it just seemed that, I mean, that is just so silly, but yet, you know, the, the media love this thing, the God helmet, you know, like if we can induce this experience that, that proves that either there isn't a God to, to somebody watching the show yeah, you know that, that it's all inside your head, or or may, or that that God has to affect your brain in some way, or, and then you know that that's how He does what He does. It, it it's so wrongheaded, pardon the pun, on both sides of that. It's so artificial and just downright clunky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that it made me. This article made me think of that, you know, because it's like, yeah, look at all these theological questions that arise just from the method. And and what you think you're hoping to get or did get or 
it seems really misguided. Yeah, there's. I love this statement of his too. You know, I just thought it was just brilliant. Um, um, pointing out the contra- internal philosophical contradictions of the studying itself. So this is not even a, his own bias. It's just think about it. the scientific method is not appropriate or equipped to resolve questions that concern the intervention of deity, which is, I believe, the implicit, ill-defined, and sometimes denied theory behind the IP research. (laughs) (laughs) So the basic premise of science is the functioning of a mechanistic and predictable world, but the basic premise of the biblical deity is that God acts according to God's own purposes and is not constrained by physical limits. Mm Mm-hmm. Or the, or the fact that we utter words, you know, it it goes back to something, you know, you guys brought up earlier. There's this thing called the will of God. Okay. And, and, you know, the concept of providence and, and the bigness of what God is doing. You know, it, I get, I just naturally get queasy when, when we reduce things like, you know, prayer or, or even, you know, the, the quote unquote prayer for salvation to an incantation. You know, I said the magic words. And so like, give me the outcome. Like, like there's this outcome that it's, that I'm supposed to have now yeah. w- without any, you know, there's no thought of relationship. There, you know, it's just so art- artificial. It's, it's just, it's really contrived, you know, and, and that, that's what, again, that's what this article sort of left me with. I, I, I had these, I had this inkling, you know, when going through the studies that, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, this uneasiness. But then when I hit the masters, it's like, holy cow, this guy's, guy's just blowing it up left and right. Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't expect that, you know, because when you, if you go through the studies first and then you have this guy criticizing, you think, oh, here's this the evil atheistic materialist. No, he's actually the opposite, you know, and he's asking theological questions that really are appropriate. I thought it was kind of ironic that, and I can't blame the Benson article came out a year after Masters because it seems like it's in a different discipline. You know, he's probably Mm -hmm. not reading that journal or whatever, but it's kind of funny that what we, I think we all agree is the worst of the four actual cases and studies came a year after Masters said, stop doing these studies. (laughs) And then when you go to Cadge and she's 2009, so I don't know what's happened since, but his is actually the last uh, study that was out there. So fascinating. Well, it, what's interesting with, with Cadge, we might as well just jump into that. That's our last one here. Cadge, uh, this again, 2009 saying your prayers, constructing your religions, medical studies of intercessory prayer. So this is the, the widest of the articles as far as the, the, you know, the, the religious perspective. She references when our Benson's 2006 study in the opening paragraph that it was designed to determine whether prayers offered by strangers influenced the recovery of people undergoing heart surgery, and they did not. The lead author, Dr. Herbert Benson, and his colleagues were surprised by these results in light of earlier studies that showed such prayers to have an effect. And then she, she sort of takes off on this tra- the, the same kinds of general, generally the same kind of misgivings, uh, you know, at least in part, that Masters has. She does not reference Masters' article in her article, which surprised me, but on pages 315 and 316, she has a sort of a a footnote that's, that's kind of relevant. Let me just find that real quickly in what she has here that sounded a little bit like masters. So in the footnote, 
she has similarly, physician Fred Rosner asked, does the efficacy of prayer have to be scientifically proven? Before outlining the many ways he believed prayer may help people when they were ill that are not likely to be evident scientifically. And that was a letter to this, this guy, Rosner, this physician, he actually wrote a letter to uh, the editor. And that's what she's, she's uh, referencing here. So she cites him and another physician about, you know, why, why God should allow the patients who receive the remote intercessory prayer to do better than the control group before concluding the real conclusion from the studies that God's grace is greater than our skills and immeasurable by our, our tools. So she at least includes some thoughts in a footnote that run along the same trajectory. So it was nice to see that. But uh, what, what did you all think about Cadge's just article in general? Um, I thought her footnotes were great, actually. They have some good, real good news yeah. in, in them. But this, I, I really liked this article. It, it, it really explained, it, it really, tr- not explained, but it sort of tracked with the culture, cultural shift from the 1980s mm-hmm. to the 2010s. Yeah. Just, uh, just how the society is, as a whole is, is viewing God in a much different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly would, would do that. And how the studies sort of mirrored that by trying to include include faiths that have a fundamental different view of God in their as as prayer intercessors. Yeah, toward the end of the article, this is like on three twenty. Her header is cha- challenges to the enterprise: is prayer a valid scientific concept? You know, where, that's where she gets into again, regardless of. Christian or not, again, this more, not even ecumenical, but, but wider than ecumenical is the feeling you get on some pages anyway, that it's, it's this transcendent thing. Prayer, prayer exists. She's quoting somebody only in the context of human intercourse with the transcendent, not in nature. I mean, again, that's, that's a good thought. You know, that's an appropriate thought, uh, whether where, where she's at in terms of religion or not, but that, that's, that's the fundamental criticism. You know, prayer is therefore not a valid scientific construct and not testable, nor are other attempts to test whether God exists. You know, it, well, yeah, you know, I mean, you could even say that if, if you just, if you don't believe in a personal God, if you believe in, you know, in, in a, a non-material reality, you know, quote unquote paranormal or, or whatever other label you'd use for it. But you're ultimately going to be landing there that this that's why it's paranormal. You know, it's not testable, you know, and, and all these sorts of things. So it was kind of interesting that even in the wider, you know, less biblical sort of definition or parameters or conceptions of God, you, at, at least that thought had some relationship to good theology. <laughs> you know, you know what, what else? Did, any, any other thoughts on, on this one? Well, I just wanted to point out, too, for those who may be listening and, and wondering, you know, oh, well, are you guys just saying that because these studies didn't tend to validate prayer as much? Because most of them are negative, except for maybe the bird one. And, or if you looked at in her article, she listed all the, the results. Like, I don't know which page it was, but, you know, and there was a sort of a, um, a listing of them and w- whether they had negative or positive results. And most of them were negative. Look, even it, like I would say everything I've said, even if all the all the uh, studies we looked at showed a 25 percent positive increase for those who got prayed for. You know, I mean, I 
I would still feel the same way because it's, it's not, you know, to me, it's not, a, it's about the truth. And it's about, you know, if you're going to do something scientifically, you got to be scientific about it. Uh, and the questions of, but is this, a, you know, is, is this attempt to uh, measure uh, such a theological thing or a spiritual thing, is it even feasible? Uh, I would still think the same way, you know? Well, it doesn't take master's questions off the table. Yeah. You know, what, what kind of God is this? You know, like, like really is God, does God obey the rules of our study? You know, like it's <laughs> yeah. just, you know, it, it I mean, th- these are really, there's some really profound theological questions here that, that really call the whole approach into question, you know, that, that we're, we've now scientifically validated God or something like that. Well, you know, all, all, what, what I, what the unease I feel about that is I, I would agree with what you just said, Brian, because even if all the, they were all positive, then, then the thought that creeps into my head is, yeah, until the next study, yeah. you know, that, that like flips the other way and, and invalidates all the other ones. And now we've scientifically proven God isn't real or, or if he's really doesn't do anything, you know, this, this linking of, of truth propositions, you know, in, in the, in the, in the realm of theology to scientific inquiry to me is really ill-advised because science by its very nature is, is malleable. It's changeable. Um, I don't, I don't think we need to be tethering our theology to that. At least of I all think the it, existence of God. I think it was Cadge who, who described what triggered the beard study in the first place. He was having a conversation with another doctor about what to prescribe a patient. And then he suggested, well, we should, we should, maybe we should, have some people pray for him. And the response was, no, I'm looking for a scientific, scientific yeah. response. And so we were like, okay, fine. You want a scientific response? Let's put together a study on prayer. <laughs> uh, I'm like, well, I mean, I can appreciate, I can appreciate the sentiment, but there's just so much, it's just so much more. I mean, science just can't measure divine activity. And it's just, there's just, there's so many things that you can't measure. Yeah. And, and again, this, this loops back, but let, let's just say that it did. Again, then you go back to, to Master's question. Okay, okay, science just measured divine activity. Well, that's wonderful. But why didn't God heal XYZ people? You know, in other words, that doesn't answer the, the theological questions. Right. It doesn't serve that at all. So where does that leave us? You know, even if, even if you know, we could you know, make the link. Right. It's like he's an extra aspirin that you can take for your headache. <laughs> so there's, you're, you're, you're thinking about selling that T-shirt, aren't you, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> Got to market it some way. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I was going to ask you guys, and I don't think I'm going to do it now. This is just rhetorical, but I was going to ask you. So do you think that such a study could be actually done, you know, in an hour of talking about this? And the things we're talking about, how com- how complex it would be it, to do to try to even try to do it right, you know, to try and put some of the theological points in there, or to try and you know test all these different possible gods that you pray to, um, and all these things. And then at the end of the day, like what you said, Mike, a minute ago, like what would happen if God just decided to say, "I'm not going to have anything to do with your study," and so he just didn't answer any of them just because he wanted to, like. Yeah, it's like David Spencer. My answer to the question is this, is it really possible to do this scientifically after, I'm kind of going back and forth, but I think I'm at the place where I, 
where I want to say, I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I don't either. I, so you, you, you'd have a buddy there. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll go out on that limb. I'm, I'm very skeptical of that. I agree. You know? I think it's just too, again, I, I think it's like David's census. Yeah. And it, it just eliminates faith and, and relationship. And after all, what's the point of, what's the point of, of praying in the first place? It has to do with God's kingdom and God's rule. And, and I mean, how do you put an equation on that? And and I would say you can't do it without engaging in reductionism, which is philosophically incoherent, and without being unethical. If you really wanted to, yeah. if you wanted to do it truly scientifically, you had to do it in a way that it would be unethical. Such yeah. as we mentioned before, not literally. Nobody should pray for these people. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit more, I don't know, fearful or conspiratorial than you guys. But all uh, everything you just said is true. But I would add the the one more thought that. It not only strips out important things about prayer and ethics and whatnot, but it also, I think it would also set up, you know, believers for a fall. In other words, it's, it's just, it's just table setting for the next study that comes, comes down the pike that contradicts everything else that just overturns the cart. And then the, then the charge is easy. Well, you, you guys are willing to follow science before what's wrong now, you know? It, you know, it, it, it just, it just sets up, it, it, it creates an easy opportunity to turn the winners into the losers, you know, if, if we link these things and, and I don't think they can be linked. So I don't, I don't think we should really be hitching anything to this wagon, both in terms of, of the, the impossibility of it, but also what I would see as the, the really undesirable outcomes, you know, that, that have been mentioned here. And to me, it's kind of a strange thing because on the face of it, just thinking the surface, it seems like you should be able to do something like this. Like if God heals somebody, you should be able to quantify that. But at the end of the day, I don't think you can. Kaj makes an interesting point. She says, uh, just on a practical point of view, she says that um, these studies actually didn't lead hardly any physicians to prescribe intercessory prayer. And then they didn't stop other people from actually praying for people. Yeah. So. Well, may, maybe, maybe the, you know, again, the, the wrong question is being asked, you know, because I, I don't think you can, you can produce some kind of quantitative study like this and, and validate prayer. But I do think that you actually could, you know, maybe not completely, but I think you could get partially down the road here, uh, validate that God does heal an individual. I mean, we probably all know people, you know, who, whether maybe even in our own family, but that have been really the only way you can describe it is miraculously healed of something. In other words, the, their, their condition is documented medically. Um, it's documented by more than one person. I mean, it's over the course of years or so. I mean, there's just no ambiguity here. And then all of a sudden, well, that's gone. They just don't have it anymore. Okay. That in a form that that's, that's a validation of a miraculous healing. Now, it, it, what it doesn't do is it doesn't prove that the mechanism for the miraculous healing was, you know, the, the Judeo-Christian God. You know, it, it, it can't do that. But the reversal of the condition is undeniable. So I, I think, you know, science, quote-unquote science, can do that, even though that's not quite, you know, what, you know, what, what, what you'd want to be able to say. But it, it's something, and honestly, it's better than 
<laughs> it's better than the studies I read for for this episode today. Yeah, I don't know why you couldn't do a study. I mean, if you if you got a bunch of atheists that didn't believe uh, and nobody prayed for them, and then you had a group of Christians who had a good support system, a church, or you know, loving family members that prayed for them, um, I think that would be the closest that you could get as a, a, a of a study group of patients. You know. Well, it, it, that, that's kind of interesting because if, yeah, and you know, all these studies admitted that all the patients, whether they were prayed for or not, whether they believed this or that, they, they felt like, oh, people are going to pray for me anyway. So it would be really difficult, I would think, to to get a group of, unbe- you know, like atheist unbelievers where, where no one would pray for them. Like you could, you could actually prove that no one did anything on your behalf and that would look like prayer or something like that. But I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Like, like what if you could create the, those groups? I think it would be deeply unethical. (laughs) 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 What if one of those atheists dies during the study and we had a chance to pray for him and maybe he could meet the Lord. And, you know, I mean, that'd be horrible, but also I, I don't know. I got then but knowing the Lord, he was like sovereignly heal some of them and go, see, no one prayed for you and I still healed you. You know, I, you can't put God in the box. <laughs> yeah, what what yeah. let's say you could construct that study and and okay, there's a discernible difference between the the believer group that got prayed for and then the atheist group nobody got better, you know. But does that prove that God couldn't do something, you know, like heal somebody like that? Well, I guess if you were approaching it, quote unquote, totally scientifically, you'd have to draw that conclusion. But it doesn't sound like a reasonable conclusion to me. It's like proving a negative, you know, even without God being in the, in, in the question. Well, and on the positive side with the with the group that was prayed for, we've already raised the question. What about those people who were prayed for who weren't healed? So there's the negative on that side as well. Unless unless somehow you got 100 percent of people prayed right. for got better. Other than that, it's the yeah. same on both sides. Yeah, you multiplied the individual in the, in the miraculous healing case. Well, now we've got 100 of them and 100 out of 100 you know, that were like absolutely <laughs> reversible. And then over in the control group where you had a bunch of atheists and nobody prayed for them, everybody died. Well, <laughs> you know, like, like if it's that categorical, you know, that maybe that might draw appropriate attention. But, but even there, there's a theology question. So, like, yeah. because of your study, God says, "Well, you guys are off the table, so goodbye." <laughs> you know, just you know, you're toast. Um, yeah, what would that say? Uh, well, well, any 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 final thoughts? <laughs> what uh, what led you to uh, this question in the first place, Mike? I'm curious. It it it's the fact that I I had read popular stories and had heard you know, anecdotal or like just news stories and people commenting about this topic that when I came across it, I, you know, it just popped into my head because of, you know, having, you know, heard this in the past, but there was something more recent that, that put it back on the radar. And I thought, oh, let's just look that up and see if, you know, there's journal articles on that. And lo and behold, there were. So I thought, okay, here's something people have probably heard of, um, that would be, you know, interesting. There's probably, a you know, it, a decent fit, you know, with, with the audience as far as a kind of a basic familiarity with the idea. So that's, that's what prompted it. Anybody with any final thoughts? If, if not, you know, I, again, I think, I think this was useful. Uh, it, it, it made us ask, you know, so, some good theological questions, maybe to the listeners, it might be disappointing, 
But if you're thinking about the theological questions, you should not be disappointed. <laughs> if I can get on my soapbox a little bit uh, for there. But, well, I think this was a useful topic. Again, even if you went away a little bit disappointed, uh, I don't think you should be disappointed because of the theological questions that it raised. And they're, they're all legit. They're all important to ask. There were ethical questions in here. So don't go away, you know, feeling, you know, let down that it's going to sound awful. Let, don't, don't be disappointed that God wasn't quantified by science. <laughs> you know, rather, I, I think this was a useful exercise in getting us to think about how scientific methods are often used, again, to, to study things that are outside the realm of the natural world. I mean, whether it be something that we would sort of reflexively put into the paranormal bucket um, you know, God, again, to some people that is a paranormal thing. They think about God in that way. But it's still the non-material you know, reality question. So I, I'm just glad that we could do it. Glad you guys could participate. And uh, you know, next time we'll pick something altogether different.